Thanks for joining us for the Heritage Bible Church podcast from Lincoln, Nebraska. We desire to be a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify Christ and love people well. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Turn to the Gospel of John. And I kind of want this morning to serve as just kind of a wrap-up in, in our time in the Gospel of John, looking back over a few key passages and hopefully then connecting it all to the birth in Bethlehem, right? We want to see just a glimpse of this incredible thread that runs from eternity past to Genesis, through the prophets, to the birth of Christ, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and even what we've been seeing in the Gospel of John. What we've been seeing in the Gospel of John is that baby in a manger grew up to do some pretty amazing things, right? The seven signs, the seven miracles that John selects to point us to Jesus Christ and to who he really is. Let's just review them and and, and be reminded quickly. First of all is in chapter 2, where Christ turned water into wine, his his first public miracle. And then in chapter 4, we had the healing of the nobleman's son, where Christ even heals from a from a distance, not even having to be present to heal. In chapter 5, we had this incredible touching and moving story, the healing of the lame man. Then in chapter 6, we were amazed by the feeding of the 5,000, which was really so many more than just 5,000. In chapter 6, we saw Christ as master over natural law as he walked on water. In chapter 9, we saw the healing of the blind man. And in chapter 11, just in these last few weeks, we've been talking about the raising of Lazarus. Jesus Christ showing and proving his power, his mastery, even over the great enemy, death. What an amazing look we've had into the man, Jesus Christ, as we've been in the Gospel of John. And we've seen these seven signs, and we've listened to the teaching of Jesus Christ as John records it. These are not, folks, these are not disjointed events. What we've been studying together in the Gospel of John is the unfolding of the plan of God. We want to see once more that Jesus is the Savior for all who will believe. Turn to John chapter 12. and We're just going to take a couple of verses out of John chapter 12 and use that as a springboard to some other passages that we've already looked at in John. Look at John 12, verses 27 and 28. It says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In this section... John 12, 27 and following, Christ speaks of his own impending death. He knows exactly what is ahead of him. And when we think of the death of Christ from a human perspective, it seems like the greatest tragedy in human history. When we think of the scene in Bethlehem, we think of the the nativity, we think of this precious child who was visited by shepherds and wise men and 
celebrated by angels with a miraculous spotlight of a star overhead, we certainly might be tempted to forget that over the manger lies the shadow of the cross. And Christ tells us here in John chapter 12 that the cross was the purpose for his coming, the purpose of the incarnation. Even though in his holiness, we see in chapter 12, that the thought of bearing the weight of the sin of the world is repulsive to Christ. And Christ could have asked the Father to spare him from death, to spare him from the cross, but he preferred to go to the cross in order to achieve his redemptive purpose. From God's point of view, the death of Christ wasn't a tragic defeat. It was the greatest victory in all of history. Why did Christ embrace the cross? Look at the verses here. Why did Christ embrace the cross? First, he did it because he wanted the Father's name to be glorified. No matter the cost, he wanted the glory of the Father. Secondly, he did it for love. Christ is love incarnate. He is the perfect expression of divine love. Think of Christmas, where Jesus left the glory and the majesty of heaven, where he was worshipped and adored constantly at the throne of God, and he did it to come to earth, to be born in a manger, so that he could one day be our shepherd, as we've been reading in John. And the Christmas story really is a, a, a love story. There's no better time of year, folks, for us to tell people about Christ and about his love and about the difference that it has made in our life than during the holidays. We have an open door. We have an incredible opportunity to speak of these things and to share the love of God. Philip Ryken says, the story of God's love began long, long ago. In the bright mystery of eternity past where love was purposed, long before you were born, before the first Christmas, before the great flood, before the heavens were separated from the earth, even before the beginning of time itself, God planned his love for you. And God loves you. He loves every single person. But there's a problem. Our sin separates us from a holy God. Proverbs 15.9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. God hates sinners. God hates sin. And we are sinful sinners. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. And we can affirm this. We can say amen to this. I always loved doing uh, evangelism, like street evangelism, on college campuses. It seems like no one is more ready and willing to agree that they are sinners than college students, right? Just go on the college campus you know, we're all sinners. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I was doing some sins last night, right? I mean, they'll, they'll just agree to that pretty readily. We know in our own hearts because the law of God is written on our hearts. We know that we are sinners. We know that we desperately need forgiveness. The Puritan John Flavel once said that all the tears of a penitent sinner should he shed as many as there have been raindrops since the creation of the world couldn't wash away by his own tears one sin. He's just communicating to us the idea that not only are we sinners, not only does our sin separate us from God, not only are we guilty before him, but there's nothing we can do about it. We, we can't 
by our own merits, by our own efforts, by our own good works, by our own religiosity, by our own tears, make one movement, make one step towards heaven. And Spurgeon describes our condition this way, man is hanging over the mouth of hell by a solitary plank, and the plank is rotten. What hope is there for us? If we're separated from God, if we're destined for his wrath, we're unable to save ourselves, why do we see the word hope so often related to Christmas? Hope and joy and peace, these are things that we, we long for. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, just look at verse 4, there's so much there that we could Unpack. It simply says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Simply telling us that God showed up with his plan at exactly the right moment, at exactly the right time that he had ordained. And this is the story of Christmas. This is the message of Bethlehem, of God sending his son into the world at exactly the right moment to put his plan of salvation into motion. Reichen again says, the love purposed in eternity and promised in history was personified in the nativity. What the carol says, the Christmas carol says is true. Love really did come down at Christmas. 1 John 4, 9 says, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent us his love by sending us his son. God has shown us his great love by giving us his greatest gift. I turn back to the Gospel of John, and remember as you turn, in John chapter 3, verse 35, we saw that God the Father loves the Son. And again in John chapter 5, verse 20, God the Father loves the Son. The Son, Jesus Christ. The Son is referred to as the apple of God's fatherly eye. When Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Look at chapter 3, verse 16 of John. The fact that God gave us his beloved Son shows us in a way nothing else could that God loved us. When we give gifts to one another, this is an expression of our love for each other. And it's a, the tiniest picture of what God has done for us in Christ. Verse 16 of chapter 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If the measure of love is how much it gives. God's love is infinite. The measure of the love of God is the gift of his one and only son to die for our sins, to, to be made man and, and live and die for our sins, to become the one mediator between God and man. And in sending us his son, the father sent his love. It's incredible, again, to think of the the nativity scene, to, to think of the scene in Bethlehem and to imagine that little baby 
And imagine that that child, that, that sacred head, was made to wear a crown of thorns. That that tender little body was to be pierced by a spear. Those soft baby hands were made to have two great nails hammered through them. All because the love of God is not only in word, love of God is in deed. Romans 5 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's hope. That's the opportunity for true joy, for, for peace, for reconciliation with God. We know love by this, John says in 1 John, that he laid down his life for us. Flip forward to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, verse 1. We're just kind of doing a little sword drill in the Gospel of John this morning, if you don't mind. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now, before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Christmas is this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And there is no other way. I read a, an account of a father who was going Christmas shopping looking for something for his son. And he wanted something that would kind of, you know, stimulate his mind, something educational. You know, we do this sometimes, you know, try to find, you know, something that, you know, will, will be like somehow beneficial, something other than just video games. My sons last night, uh, we opened a bunch of presents, and last night they got a lot of shirts. I don't know. They, apparently they needed shirts, but they got a lot of shirts, right? Am I right? Yeah, it's just like shirt after shirt after shirt. And they, they, try, they did their best to muster up enthusiasm. Oh, yay, a shirt, they said to their mother. Another? They didn't say another. Right? <laughs> another shirt, just piles and piles of shirts. But they got some other things, right? And so sometimes we say, like, okay, let's not just give, you know, junk after junk. Let's, let's try to find something educational. And so this story was of a father who went to try to find a, a Christmas present like that. And the salesman showed him a new educational toy that came completely unassembled. But no matter how the child put the pieces together, they wouldn't fit. Literally, the toy was designed to have no solution, to not be able to fit. And the salesman said, the toy is to help your child learn how to deal with life. <laughs> well, I thought that seemed like kind of a rotten idea. So I searched to see if I could find this. No, I, I didn't do that. But maybe it serves as a fitting illustration of the predicament that man is in without God. You ever feel like you just can't put life together? Maybe there's a, a missing piece. You ever heard apologists talk about a, a God-shaped hole in the life? And I believe that Scripture is telling us that the Gospel of John has been calling out to us that life without Christ is a life of futility. Turn all the way back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 29. 
we talk about the fact that the purpose of the manger, the purpose of the cross, of the incarnation, uh, or sorry, of the incarnation was the cross, that Christ knew this, that Christ understood this, that everybody, everything we've been studying, everything we've been reading together has been leading to the cross. We see it all the way back at the beginning of John. Look at verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This declaration of John the Baptist that we saw all the way back in chapter 1 looks forward to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. John recognized as the forerunner of Christ who Jesus really was, that Jesus was more than a great teacher, that he was more than a great philosopher, that he was even more than an incredible miracle worker. In Matthew chapter 1 we heard earlier where the angel appeared to Joseph. Look at, look at what the angel says to Joseph, or listen, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. The angel tells Joseph of, of Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call him Savior because he will be a Savior. He will save his people. It's no secret that this man came to be a Savior, that this baby was born to die, and the faithful understood that. And so the, the question this morning is, what about you? Do you recognize Christ for who he is? Is Christ a, a stranger in the manger? Or do you know him in a personal way? Will you follow him? Flip forward to, to John 3.16 one more time. I want to notice that the second part of the verse, we looked at the first part, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and listen to the second part, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That, that part that tells us that a person is saved by believing, a person is saved by trusting in Christ, and we've seen that word believe over and over and over again in the gospel of John, haven't we? The message of the good news of God's love, really, there's only two options here. There's only two options in John 3.16. Believe or perish. There's a responsibility that Scripture places on men and women, the duty to believe. And, and, and all of these verses that we're looking at today express the most important message of the gospel, that salvation is a gift, but it must be received. We receive it by believing God for it, so that the result of belief is eternal life. And, and again, you might get that idea. Just look in, in chapter 3 alone, uh, this section kind of verses 11 to verse 21. If you look at verse 15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Even down to verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey, same root word as believe, he who does not obey or believe the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. His gift to you was his Son. Will you accept it? 
In the 1700s, the hymnist Joseph Hart wrote a song that kind of exemplifies my plea this morning. Come ye sinners, he says. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and mangled by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. Turn to John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. We know from the Gospel of John that we, we, we've seen over and over so clearly the deity of Christ. We understand that a man, Jesus Christ, is the, the God-man. He's anthropos. Uh, he, he's the, the theanthropic person, right? He's God and man. Theos, God, anthropos, man, and that he's the creator of the world. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So all creation is made by Christ, the Word, in relation with the Father and the Spirit. Christ is the creator and sustainer of the world. And yet, verse 10 says, the world did not know him. Even though verse 3, look at John 1, 3, all things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Everything is created by Christ. And yet the world did not know him. That means they didn't acknowledge him. There should have been incredible rejoicing when Christ came. And of course, we, we highlight that part of the Christmas story, and that's a good thing to do. Some recognized what was going on. Elizabeth and Zacharias and Luke and, and Zachariah and Luke 1, Anna and Simeon and Luke 2, a handful of shepherds and wise men. But for the most part, the coming of Christ was unnoticed. And then verse 11 says, He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Christ came to the world for the people that he created, but he was rejected. And his coming had been described for them by the prophets. They knew the signs to look for, and yet still Christ was not received. And ultimately, the baby in a manger would be murdered by those he came to save. It's staggering when we think about Christ as creator because we realize that the very breath as creator that he gives to people, they use to cry, crucify him. The very hands that he created picked up hammers and drove nails into his hands and feet. Why was Christ not received? Why was he rejected? Why was he murdered? Well, it's simply because men love their sin more than they love God. And yet, as we've been saying, the death of Christ was the plan all along. It was the way that God chose to save mankind. Dustin's mentioned a couple times in the last 
weeks that hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, Scripture recorded exactly what would happen. Isaiah 55, or 53 rather, says, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Again, the rejection of Christ didn't frustrate the plan of God. It fulfilled it. Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins. Three days later, he rose victorious over sin and death. And when I think of this great gift of God, the gift of Jesus Christ to us, I think of our tradition of gift giving. Imagine if you were giving gifts with a family. Maybe uh, grandma had a special gift for one of her grandchildren. And as she went to give the gift, the person turned and walked away. Refused to take the gift from the hands of the gift giver. Would that seem disrespectful? Would that seem unkind, unappreciative? If I stand in front of you and I offer you a Christmas present and you simply ignore me, you you don't say anything, you just turn and walk away, you have rejected my gift, haven't you? This is what so many do with Christ. Christ stands ready to forgive us, but many ignore him. And somehow we think maybe we can have kind of a neutral position. I have a neutral position on Christ. I have a neutral position on this this plan of God. I don't really accept it. I don't really reject it. But making no decision for Christ is a rejection. Refusing to, to reach out and embrace the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ that God has offered to you is a complete rejection. You're saying, God, I, I, I don't want you. I reject your love. I reject your forgiveness. I reject your sacrifice for me. But if we take the gift, Romans 10 says, if we take the gift, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So the question this morning is, Was there ever a time in your life when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if not, can I just plead with you? Can I just uh, encourage you, ask you to seek us out this morning? We would love nothing more this morning than to be able to point you to the forgiveness and peace that is in Christ. One more thing. Look now to John chapter 10. As you turn to John chapter 10, let me just quickly ask you, is there someone in your life, especially as we have this this time of the holidays where we get to be around family and and maybe see people who are so dear to us that, that we don't always get to see, but is there someone in your life that you know so well, a friend, a a family member, a coworker, you know them so well that you could identify them simply by their voice? Or if you're falling behind, you can identify them by the way they walk or the the smell of their perfume or something like this. The, 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 the more intimately we know someone, the easier it is to identify them, right? Maybe you can uh, recall a scene where Buddy the Elf discovers an imposter Santa at the department store, and he alerts all of the children by yelling, that's not Santa, that's not Santa! And life is 
filled with imposters, people, philosophies, religions that don't accurately represent God or the way of salvation. And John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. And so we've unpacked this together as we have the other passages in, in John, but again, the scenario is you have a, a pen full of sheep and a gatekeeper, kind of like a, a guard posted at the gate to keep anyone from swiping sheep. And the passage talks about someone going in a different way, climbing over the fence, sneaking past the guard at the gate. Why? Well, because he's a thief. The shepherd would go in and out of the gate because he belongs there. The gatekeeper would know and, and, and recognize him. And in this story, who is the shepherd? The great shepherd is Jesus Christ. And who are the sheep? The sheep are his people. Those who by faith trust and believe. And who are the robbers? The robbers are the false teachers. They're anyone who tries to lead us away from Jesus Christ, to lead us away from the gospel. And so when we have these moments during the holiday where maybe we're hopefully a little bit hyper-focused on the coming of Christ and on the message of the gospel, it's a, it's a good time for us to just kind of reset our focus and to remember what we're all about as a church, as individual believers, to focus on the gospel. And how do the sheep respond to the shepherd? Well, they recognize his voice. They hear that voice and they know to respond. Kids, do you have a, a certain voice of a mom or dad that, that you respond to pretty quickly? A certain tone? Maybe there's a way that you call your kids to come in. I remember my father telling me about his dad, and he could do the really loud whistle thing. I never could figure out how to do the really loud whistle. I know some of you can do it. You don't have to do it now. But he whistle, and wherever they were in the neighborhood, they would come running home. My mom couldn't whistle, so she bought a cowbell. This is the truth. This is a real thing, okay, in the neighborhood. And when my mom was ready for me to come home, wherever I was, playing basketball or baseball or all around the neighborhood doing whatever, she would stand on the front porch and ring the bell. It was the most embarrassing moment of my childhood that replayed itself every day. And literally, my friends would say, Matt, your mom's ringing your bell. You've got to go home. <laughs> Great. Thank you. My children don't have a bell, but they have been snap trained. If we're in the store or we're in church, especially if they're starting to get a little rumbly, a little bit loud, I just, a couple of snaps and heads turn. And what I've noticed is that I forgot to untrain them when they became adults. So, so even now, I might snap at one of the little ones and, you know, 27, 25, 22-year-olds are turning their heads to see what dad wants, what dad needs, right? I got I to deprogram them at some point, right? Look at John chapter 10, verse 4. After he gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. What does that look like 
in your life in the year to come. To be a sheep who is following the voice of the great shepherd. Are you following him? Are you on the path? Ultimately following the path that Christ sets for us, the path of the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ is the only way. And as we close for a moment, I want to remember what Mark read for us earlier in Luke chapter 2, where the angels are the angels are praising God, and they're singing glory to God in the highest, or gloria in excelsis Deo. And isn't that what it's all about? Glorifying and worshiping God? The reason that we're created, the purpose of every Christian life, is to join the angels in glorifying God. And Luke chapter 2, verse 14 goes on, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. This incredible, miraculous Christmas story is so much more than a baby being born in a manger. It's more even than a miraculous virgin birth. It is the incarnation of God, God himself taking on human flesh to bring reconciliation with God and peace to our hearts. And that's the Christmas story that we have to share with anyone who will listen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible good news. We think of the good tidings that the angels sing. We think of the good news of the gospel, of that good Friday where Christ went to the cross for us. All of this in your incredible eternal plan to provide salvation for those you created and whom you love. Father, let's just let our, our hearts be filled with the love of God for us. And Lord, I, I just beg on behalf of, of anyone who doesn't yet know you that your spirit would work this morning, turn their hearts towards the love of God and towards salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.